Well, can you see me now? Hopefully you can see me now. Hopefully this works. That was, that was no fun. <laughs> okay, so welcome to the Fishmonger live stream. I'm Dan from dancefish.com, your friendly fishmonger. Hey, Dank Tanks, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Glad you could make it. Daryl, thanks for coming over. <laughs> Dank is first to the tank. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, pets for you, but uh, apparently, uh, hey, Lumpy Dog, apparently, apparently I can't start a live stream anymore uh, the regular way. So I spent a lot of time this week playing around with it, trying to fix it. And I thought I had fixed it, but uh, I guess I hadn't fixed it. So can someone just tell me if you can see me and hear me? I'm, I'm hoping you can. Um, but yeah, I even like I accidentally went live a couple of times this week while I was trying to fix stuff and get it, get it fit, get it all. Oh, good. Well, it's working now. That's good. Yeah, I thought I fixed it too, Candy, but whatever. I'm not going to dwell on that because uh, after talking about that three times in a row, that'll get old. Let's suffice it to say I have some work to do trying to figure this out. I, uh, I had it going well for months, and then suddenly I can't seem to start a live stream smoothly. And uh, I know YouTube made some changes, and I thought I got them figured out. I did some tests. Um, tests worked. Anyway, we'll figure that out another time. Hey, Oddball, thanks for coming by. Thanks for coming by and for the like. I appreciate it. Um, all right, so let's jump right into it. So we're changing the format up a little bit. Lumpy Dog, my main mod, had a good idea for how to manage the stream. So if you have a question or comment specifically for me, please put at Dan's Fish. Um, that way it'll be really easy for me to see and I can jump straight to it. Feel free, of course, to chat among yourselves as much as you would like. But if it's for me, uh, if you put at Dan's Fish, I'll get to it. For example, real thing for you fish tanks is hi. Dan's Fish. See, I saw it. In fact, Real Thing For You Fish Tanks was the first one to the chat, but uh, but then he wasn't because now it's a new chat. Um, so I have a, a question that I want to start off with here that I got. Um, I posted a video today about how much a fish room costs to build. So I ran down all the costs of building this fish room and of the different equipment and everything. And it's a large figure. I'll let you watch the video so you can see that. But someone asked a question based on that video. And they said this. They said, as soon as I find it, okay, um, I want to come up with an auto water change system and could use your guidance. My tap water is eight to 8.2 pH and extremely hard. I keep some South America cichlids, one tank of shell dwellers, several shrimp tanks, and multiple high-dollar pleco tanks. Everything I keep requires different water. Some are okay with tap, others need RO. My challenge has been trying to come up with a system that I can auto-top off or auto-water change all the tanks while meeting their specific water chemistry needs. That is quite a challenge. So I want to talk about that. Um, so if you're doing an automated system, how do you do that while keeping different tanks at different parameters? And it can be done. It's just tricky. So I think there's a, a couple things to think about here. The first is really digging down 
and seeing if you truly do need to change your water parameters. I've lived in areas with really, really super hard water and super soft water. And in hard water, which this water is, the person that asked this question has hard water, pH of around eight. In hard water, you can keep almost any soft water species and it's not a problem. You run into a problem sometimes if you're trying to breed the fish. So let's assume that this person doesn't just wanna keep the fish, which you can totally do in hard water, but that they also wanna breed them. So in that case, yes, we have to find a way to do this. So the first question I would have is, is it okay to do it semi-automated or does it need to be fully automated? If you want it semi-automated and you're trying to get different parameters of water to different tanks, then that's fairly simple. Um, you can plumb your tanks and put a standpipe that's about, you know, I don't know, two thirds of the way up the aquarium, halfway up the aquarium, however large of a volume of water change you want. And then you can put a like PVC uh, ball valve on the outside of that. And that way to do your water changes, this is what my old fish room was down in here when I was keeping discus. To change the water, I just turned those um, ball valves and the water in the aquarium would drain down until it reached the height of the standpipe in the tank. And then I turned the valves and filled them. So that was not quite an auto drain, but kind of, you know, it didn't take long to go around the fish room and just turn some ball valves. Um, so it would drain. And then to fill it up, what you would do is you, unfortunately, I think you're going to need several different water storage containers. So you'll need your soft water container, you'll need your warm water container, and you'll need to um, put your specific, get your chemistry in each of those containers just right. But then what you can do is just have a long hose attached to that. Not like a little hose, that would take forever. But if you have, you know, larger tanks, um, 20 gallons or over, I'd get a, a large hose, like an inch and a quarter, and put it on a pump in each of those uh, water storage containers. And then run that to the different aquariums. And you can then put soft water in the soft water tanks and hard water in the hard water tanks. Again, that's not quite automatic, but it's a lot better than taking a little piece of vinyl hose and siphoning out each tank and then taking a five gallon bucket and refilling it or something like that. So that's one option. The, the other option is that you do the same thing, but you put um, some kind of shutoff valve on a water source that goes into each water storage container, like a float valve or, or something so you can always have the water in those containers full when you need it. So what I would do is make sure that the water container is full, um, let the water get to the parameters that you need. So you're putting RO water in one, I would assume, and just your tap water in the other, maybe pumping it around to gas it off. Then you can put a pump in each of those containers set to a timer and just run um, the water from the hard water container to the hard water aquariums and the soft water container to the soft water aquariums. And you can do that automatically. If you run two water sources over your entire fish room, then you can, uh, you know, 
have one water source that's hard water all around and one water source that's soft water all around. Sounds like a lot of work and it will be. Um, and it'll need a lot of valves and things to feed each individual tank. But that way you can feed soft water to the soft water tanks, hard water to the hard water tanks. And you can, at the tank level, uh, decide how much of each the tank gets. So you could put 100% RO in the soft water system. You could put half and half. You could figure that out. So those are kind of my, my two ideas. One is a partially automated system where you kind of, it's almost an automatic drain. You use a ball valve, turn it, it drains to a standpipe, and then you just pump water to each individual tank based on its needs. Um, the other is the same thing, but the um, containers fill automatically. There's a float valve that shuts off the flow when it's full. You let it sit and maybe cycle through the rest of the day and then in the evening or whenever you want the water changes to happen, um, you can put a pump on a timer and feed however much of each type of water you need to each tank individually. So it can be done. Oh, one little trick. If, if you set the fill of your water storage container to begin, say an hour after your water changes have completed, then you're not going to get in a situation where you're feeding water that's freshly flowed into those storage containers right to the tanks. You can make sure there's a delay so that the, uh, the new water comes in and has a chance to age and gas off before you pump it to your aquariums. So anyway, that is my uh, kind of best answer to that question. Um, you basically create water storage containers that have the parameters you need and then you pump them to the tanks, either manually or automatically. And uh, you, can, you can adjust how much of each type of water you're feeding. Where it gets super tricky though, is if you have a fish room and the fish need different temperatures of water. That's where I say it breaks down. Uh, you could do it, I suppose, if you're keeping most of the fish at say like 75, and then you have a couple tanks of fish they needed at like 84, say discus or rams or something, then you could, in that water storage, have a separate water storage container for them and just have a heater in there, have a heater in their aquarium. And that way you could, you know, pump hot water to them. So you could do it to an extent, but it's going to take a, a lot of electricity to heat all that water as it's refreshed in the water storage container. So anyway, those are my thoughts on that question that, that I had. Um, all right, I'm going to scroll up, look for some chat, see if I can kind of keep up um, and see if I missed anything. Remember, if you have a question or a comment for me, please make it at Dan's Fish and then it'll be really easy for me to find it. So I'd appreciate it if you could do that. So um, hi to everyone who's here. Thanks for coming by. First comment I see is 54 Punchy saying, real thing is a smarty pants. <laughs> That's a good note to start on. By the way, 54 Punchy, glad you could make it to a live stream. For those that don't know, 54 gave me all these plants behind me um, in this aquarium, at least most of them. And uh, I'm really grateful for that. And uh, she's my Wyoming neighbor, just lives on the other side of the state. So glad you could make it. Glad your work schedule let you do that. Um, let me dog link to the uh, fish room build video there so you can see how much it costs to build this fish room. I, 
room item by item because when I went to build this fish room, I had a hard time finding that information and it would have been really nice to have. So I put it out there. Um, yeah, it's just, it's out there. It's a little personal how much you spend on stuff, but it's not that personal. And I think the information is useful to put to folks. Um, <laughs> 54 Punchy says, doesn't everyone use toilet water for their water changes? No, but there is a killifish breeder on Aruba who raises mosquito larvae and feeds them to his killifish. His name is Franz. And from what I saw in his videos, it looks like he takes wastewater and grows his mosquito larvae in that. I could have interpreted the video wrong, but I don't think so. I think he's actually using kind of toilet water to grow mosquito larvae. So um, something to look into if you if you want to know more. <laughs> Again, I could be wrong. I, I mean, I could have misunderstood. But from what I understood, that's what it looked like was going on. <laughs> Don't drink the blue water. Yeah, in the, in the hotel water feature. Let me dog. If fish room access is through a standard size door, Large water storage containers may not fit through it. Rubbermaid Brute 55 gallon trash bags work well and are food safe and aquarium safe. Yep, that's true. So depending on the volume of water you need. Um, there is the largest water storage container, <clears throat> excuse me, that I was able to find that would fit down my stairs and through the door into the fish room because it's just a normal house size door and the stairs are pretty steep. So um you get hit a choke point at the, at the bottom when you're trying to get something long into the room. Um, but the biggest container I found was $300. I bought it at a local ranch supply. I had them special order it. Um, it was pricey though. That sucker was about 600 bucks. So you can find some that are thin and are kind of manufactured to fit through large doors, but they're, they're pricey. If you don't need such a large container, then yeah, the garbage cans are great. So are um, water troughs and things like that. You can get a 100, 150 gallon water trough through a door pretty easy. So yeah, the Rubbermaid kind of water troughs. Um, hey, pal Joey, I'm glad you made it. <laughs> glad you made it man glad you are here 30 watching only 15 likes hit that like button says bob kaler yep so um i think we rectified our sex ratio issue bob um i sent bob 18 limia nigra fasciata the humpback limia uh a long time ago they were little unsexed fish <laughs> 15 of them turned out to be male so i sent bob a bunch more and I'm hoping they're all female. I did my best. Some of them are too small to know for sure. But let me know in a couple months, Bob, how we did there once they're big enough to uh, know the sex for sure. Um, Dubrex, I'm unable to share, but I did show support for a like. Cool. Thank you, Dubrex. Um, I wonder what that is. Is it it doesn't let you share or maybe the device you're using is just doesn't let you share. Um, TM Aquatics. Dan Smith, thank you for answering that question. Yes, you're welcome, TM. Um, did that make sense? And do you need any follow-ups? It's, it's a little bit of a complex issue. And so I'm not sure me just kind of monologuing if I hit it for you or not. But if you need some more specifics, chime in below um, 
or I'd be happy to talk with you another time as well, more one-on-one if, if it's more complex than what we just covered. Dubrex21, that's awesome, 54. Thank you for helping. Yep, you're welcome. Candy Overhauls, has school started for you yet? Yes, yesterday. And my daughter started junior high. And I'm a manly man, but I might have I might have choked up a little bit dropping her off at junior high. A because she's growing up, but B because it means I am officially old. <laughs> I'm old enough to have a, a kid in junior high. Like when did that happen? Carpe diem, oh carpe diem. Um also we we I should I need to mention this. Actually, that reminds me of this because it's family stuff, but my grandfather um, was 98 and a half years old, so he had a good old life, but he passed away two years ago, or two years ago, I'm sorry, two days ago, geez. Anyway, my grandpa passed away two days ago. He's in California. The funeral will be in California, so I'm not sure if next Wednesday or the Wednesday after that, um, if I'll be able to have a live stream. It just depends on exactly what the travel plans end up being and and when that happens. So um, it is sad, but again, 98 and a half, and the guy was not suffering or anything. He had a good haul right up to the end. He only got sick right at the at the very end there. And so, you know, it's always sad, and I'll, I'll miss him. But um, 98 and a half, I mean, how do you complain about that, right? So, so anyway, bottom line, for the, re- the only reason I'm saying this is because um, I'm not quite sure about next week's live stream or the st- week after that, because I might be traveling next week or the week after um, to try to get to that. We'll see how that works out. So just a heads up for that. Um, but yes, Candy, school started um, and <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> Dubrex21, I'm not on any other platforms. Oh, you keep it at... YouTube's got you in a, in a vice grip, huh, Dubrex? Well, you know what? That's okay because the socials, great as they are and as useful as they are, they sure can suck your soul away. So I totally get it. 54 Punchy, I was much disappointed today. Heard the little local fish store here got some half beaks in and I ran over there today. Too late. Three females left no males. One dead and another looking not looking good. Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. Half beaks are awesome. Um, I wonder if uh, LRB has any available yet. I know he was trying to breed some. You know, that's, it's a fish that isn't difficult to get. It's on the lists a lot, but it is difficult to get good quality ones. Um, they, they often come in rough and they take some real TLC to get, to get back to thriving oftentimes. So, but yeah, those are an awesome fish. I have kept those in the past. Never got the fry. I think the parents just ate them lickety split. <laughs> I probably needed more plants in that tank. But sorry, Punchy. Sorry you missed that. And um, that little store, I wonder, would they let you do a little video tour of that so people can see what a store in Wyoming looks like? Just curious. That could be fun. Um, once more, if you have a question or a comment for me, please be sure to make it at Dan's Fish. Just that way it'll pop out. I can see it. I don't get lost in kind of the banter that folks do among themselves in the chat. 
banter is great, but it uh, it's probably pretty boring to watch me as I have to scan through a bunch of banter to get to a question or comment. So at Dan's Fish will get it right to me. Um, Amber Purvis, hey, Dan, thank you so much for the rubra. Yeah, I'm glad that they made it to you. Um, they are gorgeous and so bold. Hopefully they'll breed for me as well. I have hundreds of half moon Dumbo babies right now getting obsessed with the wilds. That's awesome. So um, Amber contacted me and asked if I would send her some better rubra. I've been holding off on listing those. A, because they're my kids. I love that fish. And B, because I want to make sure I get a nicely ratioed breeding colony before I sell off any extras. I've got like 40 or 50 of them though. So I went ahead and sent her a few and I'm glad they made it alive. They are bold. So, so this is the difference between wild caught bettas and captive bred bettas. So I like them all. And you, you usually have to start with wild caught bettas when you're talking about the wild type mouth brooding bettas. But when you get them in the wild, those fish hide all the time. They uh, hang out in leaf litter. They, they're not an active fish. They're, they're pretty much a sit and wait kind of opportunistic predator. They will browse around a little bit, but they're, they're very much about staying hidden to not get eaten. Right. And they're also used to live food. So usually when you get a wild type betta, it's a bit of a challenge to get them feeding on normal aquarium foods. Um, I always have to feed them live food and frozen food. And to get them out and about and feeling comfortable. But when you raise captive bred ones, that all goes away. They get from the get-go, they're used to you. They'll eat flake food. They'll eat pellet food. They're, they're not picky at all. Mine will even eat rapashi. Um, and so all it takes is getting that F1 generation and you'll get some bold out there in your face up at the front begging for food bettas and, and kind of like we're used to with betta splendens, right? Except for wild type bettas, you can keep in a group. They're not as aggressive to each other. So um, Amber, so glad to hear that they made it to you okay. Now, um, I did go ahead and post, I think, 10 of them at dancefish.com for sale um, because I have enough that I think I can sell 10 of them or so and still get that breeding group out that I need to. Um, I am keeping the largest ones for myself because I need to, to get the right sex, rate, sex ratio when I select them. So the ones I'll be sending out are maybe just under an inch. They're, they're not sexing out yet. They're not fry by any means, but they're not fully grown. They aren't fully colored. So just a heads up, if you're interested in those, that that's what you'll be getting, not like a, a large fully colored fish. Um, okay. 54 Punchy says, after getting quarantine all set up and hatching some BBS for them. Oh, no. That's too bad, 54. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. You did all the work and then they came in and, uh, and you couldn't get them. Flynn's Fish Forum. One of my brothers is a pilot for the big Canadian airline and he's based in Toronto. So I see him rarely. And then my other brother goes to university on the other side of Canada tomorrow. I'm sorry, Flynn, but I'm glad you're here. Glad you made it. 
Um, Lumpy Dog, sorry to hear about your granddad. Yeah, 98 and a half. He would have been 99 this December. So thank you. Um, I, I appreciate that, Lumpy Dog. But again, the guy had a, a great life and we were able to go uh, spend some time with him last summer and stuff. So um, I, I kind of said goodbye last summer. I, I figured that would be the last time I saw him. Um, thanks, Flynn. Thanks, everyone, for the condolences. Um, it's really going to be a celebration, though, when we go to this funeral. Yeah, it's going to be sad, but the guy had an awesome life. He was a happy dude. So it's mostly going to be a celebration. My high play goes, Dana, Dan, Dana. <laughs> My name is now Dana, apparently. <laughs> well, I'm never going to live that down. Dan, I want to come take a tour of your fish room. Well, Mile High, I want you to come take a tour of my fish room. So anytime you want, come on over. Be warned that I've sold out of almost, of tons of fish. I still have fish in almost every tank, but um, basically just to keep them cycled. I don't have a ton of like rare stuff right now. I don't have a ton of like, holy cow, I never thought I'd see that in person type stuff. Um, so it's mostly some common stuff just to keep the tanks alive until the Nigerian order comes. So just be warned that that's happening, but you're still welcome. If you're like, yeah, I still want to see the systems and stuff. Come on up anytime. Um, or if you're like, Ooh, I don't know, that sounds boring. Then I'll let everyone know when the Nigeria order gets here and gets settled in. And then, then I'll have tons of cool fish to see. So, but you're welcome, uh, to come on up anytime mile high. And that kind of goes for everyone. I'm, my home's a pretty open place. Uh, people are in and out quite a bit. So I just need some warning. I just need a heads up and to communicate with you and set up a time. And then it's totally fine. I'm, I'm happy to have people over, happy to show uh, the fish room to folks. 54 Punchy, it would be a short video. Oh yeah, of that little store. Yeah, pet stores in Wyoming aren't the biggest, that's for sure. <laughs> Lumpy Dog, a dance fish. Did you find any female Santa Maria endlers yet? Um, so Lumpy Dog, I thanks for sending me that link. I'm just, I've just decided to develop my own strain. The only females that I'm aware that might be are that fella in uh, Florida that posts on Aquabid. I feel like um, though I'm already pretty far along and you know, I need to do an update video and show you what I'm getting now. So the generation I'm getting now is so close. It is basically pure Santa Maria. I've just got a generation or two to go through to get, um, to get it to where it's 90% pure. And then I'll probably list them as like Santa Maria two or something just to differentiate the strains a little bit because I did cross out to guppies to get back to it. Now the original Santa Maria strain was a guppy hybrid, so it's not that big of a deal, but, but this strain will be slightly different. And I don't want someone to think that they're getting the pure Jap Japanese line Santa Maria and then get them for me and find out, oh, they're slightly different. So, um, so I'm almost there already. Um, if anyone knows of Santa Maria, females though that I can get in some kind of quantity and not too high a price then I would I would be interested in that I feel though that someone selling a pair of endlers for 105 bucks kind of rubs me the wrong way I just feel like that's so opportunistic I, just, I don't know so 
so I didn't jump on those, um, mainly because, yeah, the price annoyed me. <laughs> I'll be honest. It just annoyed me. Like, I would never do that to someone. I'm not a fish like that. Because in a couple of years, everyone's going to have them, and they're going to be worth, you know, 10 bucks um, because they breed so crazy. So, yeah. Um, anyway, but thanks for asking, Lumpy Dog. I am still looking for Santa Maria Endler's females, um, but um, I'd like to buy them in quantity and from someone probably that bred them themselves. One of my fears is from the source that has them on Aquabid is I don't think that person's breeding them. I think that they're just bringing them in from Germany. I could be wrong, but... I would want to buy them from someone who's bred a few generations and actually knows what they're throwing. So that's another thing. Um, Viola says, angelfish, voila, in background are behaving, I see. Not much fighting. Yeah, most of the pairs are out. In fact, another pair spawned today. So in the last month, I've gotten eight spawns of angelfish, I believe. So they're, they're going crazy. I literally have hundreds of angelfish babies right now. Uh, wrigglers to uh, two-week-olds going, Wichita Falls Fish Keeper. Hey, welcome. Glad you are here. I really enjoyed the fish room build video. Really put the process and project in perspective. I have a small fish room. Hope to build a bigger one in my garage someday. Well, I'm glad you liked it, Wichita. Um, I almost didn't make it, but then I remembered when I was trying, uh, planning on building this fish room, what a pain it was to search and search for information on how much it costs to build a fish room. And I couldn't really find good information. So it's out there. So I'm glad you're finding it useful. And by the way, small fish rooms are great. Um, it doesn't have to be a large fish room to be enjoyable, to, you know, take your heart pressure down after a hard day of work to, uh, yeah, you know, three tanks in a room, that could be a legit fish room for sure. One large tank in a room could be legit fish room. So yeah, yeah, no worries about that. I got a couple comments uh, in response to that video on YouTube that was like, oh man, now like basically the gist of it was like, oh man, my fish room sucks. And I was like, no, no, your fish room's great. Um, my first one, again, it was in my bedroom as a kid um, along one wall. Along the side of my bed, I had uh, some cinder blocks stacked up with some lumber and threw some tanks on there. That was legit. I had so much fun with that. Um, but yeah, I hope that you can build a, a bigger one, Wichita, because uh, small ones are fun. But big ones, you just get a chance to do so much more. You aren't so limited in the species you can have and the things you can explore. So that's the advantage. <laughs> the, the downside, though, is the cost. It's expensive. Let me just say that. It's expensive. Philly man, Pete. Hey, welcome back. I like Beta Alba Marginata. Yep, mouth breeders too. Yep, the Alba Marginata, the Chinoides, and the Rubra are all pretty hardy, simple to breed, and fairly peaceful. In fact, the only real problem you'll have with them is, A, getting them to eat flakes or pellets if they're wild-caught. B, wanting to breed too much in the male's starving out. Uh, the male's not having time to recover between spawns. And then C, if your water is uh, not kept clean, then they, 
they will have a problem. They are not used to nitrite or ammonia. They come from acidic environments where that stuff kind of doesn't exist. And so if your water is chemically clean, they're pretty hardy. They can also take a pretty wide range of temperatures. They don't need it super hot. They can go mid-70s just fine. Or they can go low 80s and be just fine. In fact, I've had them, this is not recommended, but I have had males carrying um, babies successfully in the high 60s. That was a weird time in my life. I was moving from Los Angeles to Santa Barbara. And so, you know, during the move, there was a cool night. They got down to temperature for a couple days, but they still had successful brutes. So nice, nice fish. Amber Purvis. Yes, that's why I was so glad to find captive bred animals here in the U.S. Yeah, I breed reptiles, so captive born and conservation is a big part of what we strive for. You can definitely tell the difference even in the first generation. Yeah, of course, captive bred is, uh, yeah, they're just used to life. So I'm curious what kind of uh, fish you, you, or reptiles you keep. Just, just curious. Uh, I do corn snakes. I've kept colubrids for years, and I have a batch of Tessera times annery corns right now that are incubating. Um, I don't do a ton of them. I've only got like four right now. So used to have racks of snakes, but then I had kids. I had to choose. <laughs> kids won. <laughs> um, let's see here. My chat jumped. Let me find it again. Hey, we're not too far behind. We're doing okay. So just a reminder, because this is new, that if you have a question or a comment for me, Please make it at Dan's Fish, and then I can jump right to it. Um, that way I don't get lost in kind of the, the banter and the chatter in between. Um, let's see here. So, Lumpy Dog, thank you for um, posting the better rubra that are available at the store. I think there's only 10 of them or so. I'm going to wait till I get my uh, spawning group separated before I offer the rest. Let me talk. My hearing is getting bad. Did Dan say ban mile high plecos from chat? Hmm. <laughs> What's mile high doing? What's he doing? I don't know, but I'm sure it's tons of fun and shenanigans. Um, Pebs 13 have to go need to work. I miss summer. Well, gots to pay the bills. I understand. Thanks for coming by mile high. That's okay. You don't keep what I'm interested in. I just want to see it in person. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, honestly, anytime. Let me know and, and you can come on over. TM Aquatics at Dan's Fish. How do you choose which fish to import? Follow up. What is involved with obtaining an import license? Oh, man. I need to just make a video on that, TM, because it's pretty involved. Um, choose which fish to import. For me, it's basically what do I like? I'm not a massive enough business. I don't, um, I mean, I need to cover expenses and stuff and in that, but it's not all about the bottom line for me. This is fun. Um, this is something I enjoy. And so basically I just choose fish that I like or that I'm intrigued by. Maybe there's fish that I've never kept yet, but I've read about and I'm interested in, and I'll try some of them too. But mainly I just get stuff that I think is cool. Unless <laughs> sometimes you have no control though. So um, a while ago I did, uh, I brought in some fish and I ordered my favorite platy, 
domesticated platy is a um, what is it called? A calico neon yellow. So it's a yellow calico platy with neon on it. Super shiny, super bright colored. I love that fish. On my uh, YouTube channel, if you look way, way, way back before I was really making videos for YouTube, I was just kind of taking little quick snippets of video to while I, uh, when I posted fish for sale on like Aquavid so people could see video of the actual fish they were getting. It's that kind of stuff. But um, if you look way back, you can see some groups of those like eating zucchini and stuff shot with a horrible phone camera, really bad video, but you can see the fish. Anyway, those are one of my favorite platies. But so I ordered those and what I got was a big bag full of veil tail, liar tail, sword tails. So <laughs> sometimes you don't control what you get, but I get what I like. Um, and I have, yeah, I guess that's the basic answer for that. As far as what it takes to get an import license and, um, all that. Let me, I'll talk about it super briefly, TM. It's a good question. But um, I think at some point, I'll probably do a video dedicated to that. What do you do? How much does it cost? Um, how do you go about doing that? Because I know that's a question everyone has. And I had for years until I, I got help doing it and figured it out. Um, well, worked somewhere that did it. So I learned that way. But basically, uh, there's paperwork to fill out. There's um, money to pay. And then if you if you get approved by the government, then they give you a license. The license isn't necessarily the hardest part. The main issue with importing fish is the minimums. So no importer is going to want to send you less than thousands and thousands of fish in a single order. The airlines um, give a price break once it reaches, I, depending on the size of box, like a certain number of cargo boxes. Until you reach that price break, it, break, it is not cost efficient to import fish. In fact, it's not cost efficient to import fish hardly ever. Um, often the cost of importing the fish is higher than the cost of the fish themselves. A lot of the expense is just in transportation. But um, that's the issue with importing though, is finding a reliable exporter that you can import the fish from, because there's a lot of charlatans out there. There's a lot of folks out there that don't really know what they're doing. And um, if you, yeah, that can be a horrible experience and a very costly experience. But finding a good exporter and ordering in the quantity that they need is the main hurdle. So if you can order in large quantity, like really large quantity, then um, then you can pretty much import fish. Yeah. So TM, I know that's not exactly detailed, um, but at some point I'll, I'll make a detailed video specifically about that. But hopefully that gives you some kind of idea. Um, all right, I'm jumping to the next at Dan's Fish. So again, to get a comment or a question read by me, just put it at Dan's Fish and it'll pop up and I will see it. It'll be wonderful. Bob Kaler, hey Bob. 
Um, Dance Fish, you mentioned in the build out cost video that you would like to get an oxygen concentrator. Yes. Can you talk about what it is a little, why is it needed, the cost, et cetera? Yeah. So oxygen concentrator, let me, um, let me just take a moment. Sorry, this is going to take just a second. And I'm going to um, bring some up so I can show them to you. Oh, I can't do that because I'm doing a live stream through the stream now thing and not through OBS because I can't get OBS to work right now for some reason. So I'm sorry, but if you go to eBay and you Google oxygen concentrator, a bunch will pop up. Now, there's different kinds of oxygen concentrators. Basically, what they are is they're a machine that you just plug in. And it takes the oxygen from the air and what comes out is pretty much pure oxygen. So it's how they get the oxygen concentrated that they put in like oxygen cylinders for um, medical purposes or for um, welding shops and things like that. Now, what you can usually buy on eBay or some other places are concentrators that are used that people used for medical purposes and generally what so you can get those and you can use them to concentrate oxygen and use that oxygen for shipping um, or you can buy oxygen concentrators that are made for the glass blowing hobbyists so there's this whole realm of hobbyists that work with glass and in order to blow the glass they have to make the fire really hot in order to get it hot they need pure oxygen really helps. And so you can get these concentrators that are used in those kinds of applications, uh, blacksmithing type or glass blowing type applications. So those can be used as well. Often those hobbyists just use, uh, you know, old medical oxygen concentrators, but there also are oxygen concentrators made specifically for uh, kind of the glass blowing industry and things like that. And then you can get up to another level of oxygen concentrator, which uh, is used in industry, like gas shops used to concentrate oxygen to put it in canisters and sell it to welding uh, supply warehouses and things like that, or to uh, hospitals for, for their patients, things like that. So the advantage of an oxygen concentration, concentration machine is that it's not super pressurized. So... What I have here, let me just show you, this green thing right here, that's what I currently use to put pure oxygen, well, pretty pure, it's like over 97% pure oxygen, into the fish bags when I prepare fish for shipping. The big disadvantage is that's a highly pressurized used unit. So there's an element of danger, or at least, I don't know if, I mean, they're pretty safe, but in the back of my mind, <laughs> there's always the, the little fear that one day that'll bust somehow. And because of the super high pressure, it'll just like be a missile that shoots around the house or something like that. Um, or if there was ever a fire and that thing caught, it would basically blow up. So those kinds of things kind of freak me out a, a little bit. Obviously not that much because I have it here, but it's always in the back of my mind. So, and also, um, if you don't know how to use them well, they can be dangerous. So if you don't know how to use a regulator 
and, and control the release of the oxygen and things like that, it can be a dangerous thing to have. So the oxygen concentration machine, you just plug it in when you need it. A stream of oxygen comes out, you use it, and then you turn it off or you unplug it or whatever. So you don't have this stored volume of concentrated oxygen that could be a hazard in your life. So um, you can get used medical oxygen concentration machines for, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks on up. Uh, a good you a good not used a good hobbyist type one for like the glass blowing folk folks <sighs> folks f o <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to spell it folks people the people that blow the glass um, that's maybe a grandish right around a grand for a, a good quality one that's uh, it's made just for that so Bob I hope that answers your question but. I think it's needed just because fish do a lot better if there's more or less pure oxygen in the bag with them. Now, it's not necessary all the time. I've shipped lots and lots of fish with just room air without putting oxygen in them at all. I just use the ambient air in the room. Um, I did that for years and years. It's not till the last few years that I've really started using oxygen, but um, last decade or so. So not absolutely vital, but it makes me feel better. And I, I have a marginally better success rate with fish surviving um, shipment when I use pure oxygen. Um, <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, hope that was detailed enough, Bob. Let me know if you need a follow up on that. Fish Tropic and just like a Fish Tropic, I, it jumped on me. I'll be right to your question in a sec. I missed uh, Corey Boy. Corey Boy Aquatics. Just finished water changes in the fish room and moving tanks around. That's right. That's right. You're a working man. And I'm the soundtrack. I'm the talk radio. Right, Corey boy? Is your work? I'm happy to be your talk radio. Fish Tropic, a dance fish. Um, have you ever used Proform C-Med? I've never heard of Proform C-Med. Let me Google that real quick. Proform c it's for koi medication. So what is this? Um, it's for use on koi. And what does it treat? I'm curious. I'm, I'm imagining if it's for koi, it's probably parasite medicine. Um, wow. <laughs> Let's see here. Broad spectrum treatment for ick. Okay, so uh, velvet. So, okay, it's an external parasite medicine. So, no, I haven't, Fish Tropic. Um, have you? And if you have, is it, is it something that you would recommend? What was your experience with it? Also, did you mix it with any other medicines? And did it work well? So, I'm curious about that. <clears throat> um, nope, I, I, I've used uh, ICX is kind of what I've been using. Um, for a long, long time with good results. But I'm always interested in newer, better, or less expensive medicines or a combination, you know, of less expensive and better is good. So if you've used that, I'd love to hear about it. Fishtropic room is powered by a Plumus 2000. Well, that's cool. What's a Plumus? I'm learning all kinds of stuff today from Fishtropic. What is a Plumus 2000? Um, Oh, okay. Is that the sprinkler? Is that how you govern the water in the fish room? 
I'm guessing. Uh, let me know if I'm wrong. KG Cichlids, is pure oxygen a must when shipping or more of a safeguard type thing? It's not a must. It helps. If, if okay, so let's say that the box gets put somewhere on the route from the shipper to the receiver and it gets put in the sunshine or it gets put somewhere that's warm. The fish are going to have a better chance of surviving that if there's pure oxygen in the water, because as the temperature of the water increases, its ability to dissolve gases decreases. So having pure oxygen in there, I'm not a chemist, but it makes sense to me that that would help um, mitigate that situation, that it would keep the concentrations of oxygen in the water higher um, than a similar bag that didn't have it in there. So that's, that's one situation. Any situation that could deplete oxygen in a bag, um, you know, there, there's lots of them. A bacteria bloom if a fish poops in the bag or anything like that will be mitigated by pure oxygen. That being said, I think for the first 15 years or so of sending fish around the nation, I never used pure oxygen and I had good success. So no, it's not absolutely necessary. Um, Lumpy Dog, are you going to have an open tank available to breed glowing pond guppies? They just might show up at your doorstep in a few months. Uh, Lumpy Dog, I have been actually thinking about those. I, I haven't, you know, asked if you would sell them or not yet because I, I know you're still kind of working on the strain. But absolutely. Um, in fact, I don't know if I have the room, but I have a, I have a hundred gallon uh, pond that I thought might be cool to set up over here on the floor just for those. If I don't do that, then I, I could put them in this 20 long, or I also thought it could be cool in this hundred gallon tank down here, but because any low tank, right? Cause then you can see them from the top. So yeah, I, I've, I've been thinking of those lumpy dogs. So that would be awesome. Um, so for those that are new or that have forgotten or not heard, if you have a question or a comment and you want it to get straight to me, just make it at Dan's Fish and I'll jump straight to it. If, if you've had a question or comment and I've missed it, it's probably because that wasn't done. And we're just trying that as a way to manage the chat better so that I don't get lost in uh, the side conversations and have to scan through, you know, three pages of banter, which is great. But before I get to a question or comment uh, about fish or fish keeping or whatever. So anywho, if if you would make it at Dan's Fish, then I'll get right to it. So sorry if I missed anyone, but that's probably why. So just repost it if I missed it, please. Okay. Um, and we got to the last one. <laughs> All right. Um, let me scroll up and see. I'm, I know there's a few that I missed. So I'm going to scroll up and grab a couple. Um, but see, this is why, this is why, because the scrolling takes so long and it's boring to watch, right? So that's why it prevents this problem. All right. So Can you hear my kids upstairs? They've been super loud. They're having a good time. 
JH Aquatic says, I got CW109's Bumblebee Cats, Apistos, and Black Bar Tetris from Peru via Dean. Yeah. So, JH, I'm super excited about those. Did did you get any of those blue Tetras, those little blue Tetras? Um, I, I, of course, haven't seen them in person, but from the video, they look like they'd be really cool. Like they're silver, and then at the right angle, they turn bright blue or something like that. So that is a great haul. And I can't wait to see him, JH. I can't wait for the videos. That is going to be awesome. JH Aquatics, Peru makes me want some more leaves and less plants in my tanks. Tannins all the way. Yeah, like tannins where you step in and you sink into leaf litter up to your waist, right? Um, my fish godfather, Jim Forche, one collecting a lot in Brazil and lots of places in South America. And he would mention that he's like, Oh, you think you have enough leaves in there? Let me tell you about what it's like. Like you wade into the habitat and you literally sink to your knees or to your waist in, in leaf litter for some of the epistos and stuff that he was collecting. So, yep. I hear you, JH. I hear you. Um, pal Joey at dance fish. Oh, it didn't highlight. Sorry, pal Joey, I didn't see that because you made it at Dan's Fish, but for some reason, oh, because there's a space between the at symbol and Dan's Fish. Um, I think that's why. Sorry, I missed it though. Why aren't corner mountain filters more popular? Same print, footprint as sponge filters with more media area, less ugly, more easily hideable with jet lifter returns, more water turnover. So, pal Joey asks a good question. Mountain filters, why aren't we using them more? And my answer is I would um, use them more. It was a cost thing for me. I love mountain filters. My old fish room was powered entirely of mountain filters, and they're fantastic. A couple of things I like about them. Large surface area. So the, there's a ton of nitrifying bacteria can grow in them. Large surface area, so the water doesn't circulate through the sponge so rapidly that the bacteria doesn't come in contact with all the ammonia and nitrites. So it gets a lot more bacteria time, if you will, to transfer uh, or to go through the nitrogen cycle. So I love that. Then here's the thing I really like about them. They're a solid wall, except for the little um, you know, spout coming out for the water to run through in the bubbles and stuff. They're a solid wall. So when you go to catch fish, they're not hiding under the sponge filter. They aren't hiding under the, the filters and stuff. You can just, it's just another wall in the aquarium. It makes it so much easier to catch fish out. And if you're importing fish or selling a lot of fish or something like that, I think that's a huge benefit, a huge time saver. Um, just catch out the plants and for me anyway, I just have some floating plants, right? I just take them out and then I can see all the fish and get to all of them. They don't have anywhere to hide. So that's awesome. The other thing is because it's a solid wall, fry can't get back to the drain. So if you put your um, overflow behind it, then you don't need to worry about fish getting sucked into the drain. Uh, a leaf that gets detached from a plant will get sucked into the overflow and clog it. So then your tank floods or something like that. So I love man filters. The only reason, pal Joey, I don't have them in this fish room is cost. I got a smoking deal on these sponge filters and 
I had already spent so much on the fish room. <laughs> it was hard for me to justify getting a more expensive filter, the Matten filters, when I could get the sponge filters for so dirt cheap. So that's why. But if cost was not an issue, I would get the Matten filters almost every time. I do have Matten filters in my uh, five and a half gallon tanks because I had enough leftover sponge material that I was able to make enough matten filters for them. So they're great for those. Uh, those are kind of for raising fry and things. And again, they don't let the fry get sucked into the overflow. And that large surface area is great for the fry to kind of pick at and graze off between feedings. So pal Joey, that's my answer is I think matten filters are the bee's knees. I think sometimes it's just a cost issue. Also, there are YouTube personalities that are quite influential who don't like mountain filters and have talked about it. And I think that affects people's choice as well. Um, the main complaint is that they suck up a ton of detritus and are hard to clean. And that's valid. Um, however, I think the benefits outweigh that. That being said, if you get a mountain filter that's a fairly coarse pore size, like a large pore size, then they won't... They won't clog as easily. And it's such a large surface area that even the really, really fine pore size doesn't clog readily at all. Um, man, I had some going for a couple years and I never cleaned them until a couple years. And then I did. And yeah, I made a mess when I did. But for sitting there for two years without having to be cleaned, that wasn't bad. And these were tanks that were full of discus, tons of heavy feeding you know, a lot of food going into a lot of waste generated in these tanks and they did just great. So that's my answer, pal, Joey. That's my take on it. Um, Bob, Kaler, holy cow, Bob Kaler is throwing down 50 bucks. Thank you, Bob, for the super chat. If you don't need something else before, please use towards an oxygen concentrator. The Limias just took some fine flake food, some Daphnia and a few live blackworms. Thanks. Well, I'm glad they're eating for you already. Because uh, they've only been in the tank for, what, four hours or so? So I'm glad they're eating and doing well. And thank you, thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate that. Um, that's awesome. Appreciate that, Bob. Let's see here. Um, I think... Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we've been going for a little over an hour and I just reached the bottom of the chat. So this is the point in the program where I say, if you have a comment or a question that you really want to get out there, now's the time to do it. Uh, make it at Dan's Fish if it's for me and I will respond promptly. And um, yeah, so we'll go for a few more minutes to let anyone get any last minute questions or comments done. And then in just a little bit, we'll probably shut her down just because it's gone for a while. And usually when you reach the bottom of the chat, it kind of means that, you know, that's about the life cycle of a, a live stream. I, I, it's always painful to watch people try to drag them out longer than they want to go. <laughs> so I'm not a fan of doing that. Um, I'm going to read these last few comments here. I have no idea what they're in relation to, but we'll see. Um, KG Cichlids, whenever someone doesn't say hi after putting my name, I think it's kind of a nod. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's one of those. It's like a, a, a chin lift. 
<laughs> hey, KG. <laughs> um, my high play goes, Bob is the new boss around here. Yeah, thank you, Bob. That was so generous. I really appreciate that. Um, really appreciate you being around here. All right, got some that came in at Dan's Fish, so I'm going to skip down to those. KG Cichlids, do you have any fake plants in your tanks? No, I don't think I do. Let me make sure I don't before I say that. Nope, I don't. In fact, I don't think I have any in storage either. My favorite fake plant, there are some that are useful. Um, my favorite are these large, they're like a mat, like a couple inches tall and maybe 10 inches by 10 inches. And you, they're made so that they look like ground cover. But what they're great for is for fry to hide in. So in in an aquarium where you have guppies or something and you don't have live plants or see what else have I used them for? I've used them for mouth breeding bettas. I've used them for killifish. I've used them for all kinds of things. You throw that in there, sometimes floating, sometimes sinking, depending on the species. Uh, you have to put like some rocks on them or something to weigh them down. But that's, that's the only fake plant that I every now and then like, man, I could use that. If you don't have enough java moss at the time, then that's a great substitute. Besides that, um, I don't use, uh, never used a lot of them. The plastic ones I find are, especially the ones that are like kombaba, how do you say it, kombamba, kombamba <laughs> and stuff, stem plants that are kind of pointy. They're actually a little, they're a little hard. Like sometimes I worry that the fish will get actually injured on them. Um, some are higher quality than others. The silk plants, those look okay. And those aren't, you know, sharp or anything. But for me right now, they're all live plants. So mostly water sprite. Although I am getting quite a bit of java moss going. So once I get a little more, I might be able to send some of that out. But that's going to be a while. That stuff grows so slow. Anyway, KG, that's the answer. I guess I could have just said no. <laughs> Debrex 21. When talking about plants, should I be saying leaves or leaves? Well, you're talking to a guy that knows very little about plants. So I'm going to pop that over to someone in here that, that their life is plants. So someone here that's deep into plants, let us know. Is it leaves or leaves? I've always said leaves, L-E-A-V-E-S, I think. <laughs> uh, but my mother is kind of British. And so I don't know if that's a British thing. Uh, several of the words she says are kind of British things. So I don't know if that's a British thing or a, a, a correct thing. Corey Boy Aquatics. When you don't auto water change, do you use cold water or hot and cold water? How do you mix the water to keep the temp? Okay, so it can be really simple. Or, in, or it can get complex. The simple way, before I had any equipment, was I'd take a five-gallon bucket. I'd take a little thermometer. I would put in a mix of hot and cold water from my tap and put in the thermometer. And if it was pretty close, that's what I used. Had some dechlorinator, stir it around, dump it right in the tank. So that's the low-tech method, and I did that for years. I, I do think it's always better if you can allow the water to gas off and kind of be mixed around 
bubbled or run, a pump running in it or something for several hours before you put it in the, in the aquariums. That just allows it to stabilize before it goes in the tank so that change doesn't happen in the tank. But uh, for a long time, when I first started out, um, that's what I'd do. Five-gallon bucket, kind of hot and cold water, put my hand in it. Got pretty good at sensing the temperature with my hand to about the right temperature, fill up the five-gallon bucket, check the temperature with the thermometer, and go for it. So that's one way to do it, Corey boy. Um, in this fish room, I use a, a mixing valve, which is similar to what you would use on a shower, say. So I just set it to a certain temperature, and I've got a thermometer there, so I can check it periodically and make sure it hasn't deviated from that. And Freezing cold winter, heat of summer, I've never had to adjust it once it was set. That's worked great. Um, and I would always err on the side of the water being slightly too cold than slightly too warm if you're using the, um, you know, mix method in the bucket. So those are my thoughts, Corey boy. Um, hopefully I answered that completely. Let me know if I missed something or if there's any follow-up. Or if I misunderstood the question, I do that sometimes. <laughs> Let me dog. Any plans to get into breeding and selling shrimp? Nope. Um, I do want to get my colony of cherry shrimp kind of back up to size and stable, but mainly that's because cherry shrimp are wonderful to use when you're incubating fish eggs. Like right now, I have a, a million angelfish eggs. And one of the issues you have with those is that some of them are not going to be fertile. So they're going to turn white and go bad on you. If you have some that are fertile and they're surrounded by a bunch of eggs that are infertile, then you can lose the fertile eggs as well. Cherry shrimp are great because you put them in the container and they will actually eat the kind of infertile eggs, but not bother the fertile eggs. So it's a good way to manage uh, spawns up until the hatching point is to put them into a colony of cherry shrimp or put a few cherry shrimp into the egg uh, incubation container, if you will. So I love cherry shrimp and neocaridina and caridina type shrimp for that. You don't want to use like grass shrimp or ghost shrimp or other shrimp that kind of have the, the big pinchers, you know, this thing going on because they will eat the fertilized eggs and the infertile eggs. So that being said, I love shrimp. I've raised several in the past. I do like them. This uh, mythical order from Nigeria that I keep saying will happen. <laughs> Once that happens, I have thought that I have that if I have a few empty 20 longs or a few of the 30 gallon breeders that I don't need to. Um, to use to house that order that one thought I've had is to set some of those up as some shrimp, uh, some shrimp tanks. So it's kind of, I have to wait and see how this other plan goes. And then if there's, if I have the ability in the space, then I might do some shrimp because I do like them. So no hard plans, but kind of a constant tickle in the back of my head about, you know, when and how to, to get some shrimp going again. All right. So, that's it. Um, everybody, thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to shut it down in just a second here. I do want to say 
the video I released today, I think is a very special video. Um, it has a lot of information in there that most people wouldn't share. It's about what it costs to build a fish room. I go through each piece of equipment in the fish room and I tell you exactly how much it costs. And, um, it's a lot <laughs> for this fish room. And it doesn't have to be, I want to, I want to say that you can make a fish room out of used tanks and some cinder blocks with some lumber on it. And that's great. Okay. It doesn't have to be, but, um, I wanted to share with everyone what this is because I know a lot of people are interested in making a fish room that's automated and I thought it would be useful to release that information. So I usually don't plug my videos on my live streams, but I think the video about the fish cost breakdown um, or the fish room build cost breakdown, I guess, uh, is one that is useful and I think important for a lot of people. So I do want to say that's there. If you're interested in building a fish room or have plans to do that or are thinking, should I do that? This will give you the exact cost of what it was to build this fish room in this way. And then you can kind of have a starting point to say, oh, I, I'm going to automate it even better. Or, ooh, I, I, I guess I'm not going to automate, so I'm going to have to plan to do things differently. And here's the number of tanks that I can have without automation that I can take care of easily and all those things. So um, if you haven't looked at that video, I think it's an important one. So I am plugging it. Uh, go take a look-see, if you will. Um, Greg Jones. Hey, Dan, very informative video earlier today on fish room costs. Hey, Greg's saying everything for me. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Sounds like money was spent in the right places. Keep it up. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. You know, I, I figure that this is a fish room that I can enjoy pretty much the rest of my life. So it's a long-term investment for me. Um, who here is old enough to have a daughter in junior high? Me. <laughs> TM. Dan's Fish, thanks again, Dan. Great video today, followed by a great stream. Well, thanks, TM. Man, if I can just figure out how to start this thing without technical difficulties. I, OBS is not talking to YouTube, and I didn't change something. Something changed in YouTube, and I thought I'd fix that, but now it looks like maybe it changed in OBS. So got some more digging to do, but I'm hoping next week that we can have it again. Um, or maybe I just figure out how to schedule these just through YouTube and uh, not go through OBS. But I like OBS because then I can show you the computer screen if I need to show like a species of fish or, or an oxygen concentrator, right? So anyway, hopefully we start smoothly next time. If not, if not I apologize in advance. Um, I will let you guys know, um, I'll you know, prearrange the live stream if it can happen next Wednesday or Wednesday after. I do have to head out of town for a funeral, so I don't know exactly uh, when that'll be, though. So um, real thing for you. Thank you, Dan. Well, thank you, Bob Kaler. Thanks for the stream. Bob Kaler, thank you for being here, for helping make it an awesome stream. For the, the amazing Super Chat, $50, that's no joke, towards an oxygen concentrator, as long as I don't need anything first. <laughs> like every now and then, it's like, oh, I better buy some food, right? Um, but I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. And um, let me dog, search YouTube videos for how to use OBS. Yeah. Oh, I have. Trust me. Anyway, thanks, everyone. I really enjoy you being here. I like being able to geek out on fish with you. And until next time, I hope you have a good one. Bye-bye.